You are listening to the Hodges Huddle, where we discuss all things happening in the wide world of sports. Here is your KLSU sports team. Welcome into the Hodges Huddle podcast. I'm your host today, Patricia Caputo. Joining me is Raven Freeman and Casty Johnson. How are you both doing today? I'm good. How are you? Cowboys win. Last night, so Cowboys win. Cassidy's a Cowboys fan, so LSU loses. At least she gets that Cowboys <laughs> win, right? That big Cowboys win exactly. over the Colts uh, with Jeff Saturday as their coach, which we talked about yeah. in the past on previous podcasts. But today we are going to focus on the SEC championship game. LSU was defeated by Georgia fifty to thirty. It is the most points that an Eastern team has ever put up in the SEC championship, 50 points for the number one Georgia Bulldogs. LSU almost got to the playoffs, but once Texas A&M defeated them, all hope was lost. But this game still mattered to a lot of people. We will get to that, but first we had the opportunity, while some of the KLSU sports crew went out to Atlanta, Andre Champagne and I had the opportunity to interview an LSU alumni. Brittany Ernest is a former LSU student. She majored in mass communications and focused in public relations. And today she has a role of senior manager of engagement, specifically focusing on young alumni and current students here at LSU. And the alumni, especially the Atlanta Alumni Association, did some things to gather the alumni together before the game on Saturday. So we have a tailgate at Stats right down the street. It is from noon to three. We have a DJ, it's um, food for three hours, and we've actually sold out, so we're really excited. We'll have about 400 people at that today. And while speaking with Brittany Ernest, if you know anything about Louisiana, I was shocked when I first came down here about the culture, the gumbo, the jambalaya, everything that I was very unaware of even existed as someone from the North. So I was wondering, how was the Alumni Association going to bring the Louisiana culture to Atlanta for the SEC championship game? So we have Mardi Gras beads, lots of koozies. Um, We have, you know, Beat Georgia stickers and all that fun stuff. But I think just... You know, we travel so well and we just bring the people and they're Louisiana within themselves, right? So we have uh, gone to dinner and made noise and, you know, cheered with the Georgia fans and go SEC and all that great stuff. But I think the people really bring the culture with them. And while speaking with Brittany Ernest, she also made us aware that she spent her time at LSU from 2007 to 2011. And in that time, LSU football and baseball won national championships and the New Orleans Saints won their first ever Super Bowl. So she said she had a great time here at LSU. She is from St. Francisville, but often opted to stay in Baton Rouge because of how much she loved LSU. Then she also talked about Tiger Stadium. A lot of people say that's one of the best places to play college football. Even college game days, Lee Corso, who has played in many and coached in many different college football stadiums. This is what Miss Ernest had to say about Tiger Stadium. Absolutely. No question about it. It is the best place. There's no place like Saturday night in Death Valley. We really appreciate the opportunity for the LSU Alumni Association 
speaking with us, allowing us to do an interview, and giving us some background information about what went into their day during an SEC championship game. And a huge shout out to Brittany Ernest for taking the time to speak with us. And early in the morning, it was about eight in the morning, right before they went to go do their tailgate and have some fun before the game on Saturday afternoon. But let's jump in talking about this game. Let's start off talking about this LSU offense and specifically Jaden Daniels. He's been such an asset for this team all year, specifically his mobility and how he uses his legs. But that was not the case on Saturday as LSU took on Georgia because Jaden Daniels had an ankle injury. And they knew this coming into the game. Brian Kelly said he was set to go. But if when I was on the sideline, I took a video of Jaden Daniels' ankles and he was taped up. Both ankles, a whole lot of tape on both of his ankles above his cleats. And he wasn't limping around just yet, but as that game progressed, it, it looked like he was just getting beat up. And he continued to limp around and got to the point where Garrett Nussmeyer got in, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But, Raven, did Jaden Daniels' injury, how did Jaden Daniels' injury affect this game? I mean, to me, it didn't have that large of an effect. I mean, when Garrett was put in, there was really no shift in, like, motivation change. I mean, Garrett put up as many points as Jaden did. So I think that the team adjusted to that change nicely. I don't really think it had an effect on the team. Cassidy? Yeah, I don't think it had an effect on the team, but I think when he was in the game, it had an effect on his gameplay. He wasn't as mobile as he could have been. And you could just kind of tell his confidence was a little uh, shot. So, And when I was talking to Andre in the press box, I had said to him, I wonder how different this game would have been had Garrett Nussmeyer started. And not because Garrett Nussmeyer is necessarily the better quarterback just yet, just because of that Jaden Daniels injury. Because Brian Kelly in the press conference had said, no, he re-injured the ankle, he looked okay. And while that could be true, it was also, yeah, but the the training staff was looking at him earlier in the week, and if you saw that game against Texas A&M, when LSU opted to go for that two-point conversion, Jaden Daniels sat there on the ground, and I, they went to commercial break during the show, and I wasn't sure if he was going to be playing in this championship game this week because of, he just looks so injured. He's grabbing his leg on the, on the ground. It just didn't look good. And then he, he is a very tough player, and Malik Neighbors himself, wide receiver here at LSU, had a lot to say about Jaden Daniels and his toughness throughout this game. That tells me that he's passionate about playing the game of football for this team. You know, he's a fighter. You know, he came in here, you know, with a bump on his, you know, his ankle, but he just never backed down through practice or anything. He just kept fighting. To say that he fought through three quarters of, of play against the number one team, you know, on a bump ankle, it shows that he's pretty a strong player. But Jaden Daniels, he stays in the game. Just like Malik said, he fought through three quarters. He got his team down. He went down there for some of his last drives of the game and was able to lead LSU to a field goal. So how do we see Jaden Daniels use his aggressiveness in this game, Cassidy? Like, not even on the field per se, but like mentally, I think he was very aggressive. He didn't quit. I'm sure he probably didn't even want to get taken out of the game, but he fought for those three quarters. And then when he was taken out on the sideline, he was still motivating his teammates. I think he was aggressive. He wanted to stay until the end, and they fought. As long as, as long, along with our LSU football team, who they weren't down and out, they kept fighting. Like we were losing pretty badly, but they kept they kept running the scoreboard up as well mm-hmm. and kept trying to get good looks. So I think in that way they were aggressive. Right, I agree with Cassidy on the sidelines. I liked his motivations, but on the field, you know, of course he couldn't be as aggressive. He was hurting. But when he was taken out, he didn't seem defeated. He just kept that motivation flowing. Right, and part of that came from after 
Georgia had blocked that field goal and they ran it back for a touchdown. Jaden Daniels has always been this guy for LSU all season. Like, okay, it's, we're going to be all right, hyping up the players on the sideline. And then he goes out there and he makes plays happen, and specifically that touchdown to Boutte in the end zone to say, okay, like we're good, we're still in this game. Clearly that wasn't the case as the game progressed, most of that coming from Jaden Daniels' injury. But it did make a statement about Jaden Daniels, is that he is a leader on this team, and that's something – that he possesses that I'm not sure Garrett Nussmeyer does just yet. And that's why he won the starting job this season is because that leadership that he's exemplified for this team all season. But let's speak about that play. LSU, they're about to go for a field goal. They kick the field goal. Georgia blocks it. No whistle is called. The refs do not call a whistle. That's, for me, the key, right? No whistle calls. That means the ball is still alive. Georgia's looking around. LSU's looking around. LSU thinks the play is over. The Georgia defender says, okay, let let me go run this back. The worst case scenario is that it gets overturned. And that defender runs it back. And it counts. The refs were like, yep, no whistle was called. And that really changed the momentum. We had talked about it on the tailgate show on Saturday morning with Bree Andrus and Tiger TV and Andre Champagne. And Bree said that they need a momentum changer, either of these teams, and that could easily win the game. You look at that game versus Tennessee where Jack Besh muffed that punt, changed the entire game. You look at that that game against Auburn, I believe it was, where B. Joe Gelari with the, the fumble recovery changed the entire game. And that play, to me, changed the entire game, and it set the tone for this game. And Brian Kelly took full responsibility in the press conference, and this is what he had to say about that blocked punt, which Georgia turned into points. Obviously, uh, we did a poor job coaching. Um, you know, it's our responsibility to have our guys alert in that situation. Um, they were not alert, and, and that falls on coaching, and that falls on my shoulders, and um, I take full responsibility for that. So I mentioned Kayshawn Booty, though, and before LSU ends up losing by 20 points, Jaden Daniels did answer, Jaden Daniels and Kayshawn Booty did answer on the the defensive points that Georgia scored. So what does this tell you about LSU? I know they're not exactly where many fans want them to be right now, but what does it say about Jaden Daniels, who now with Garrett Nussmeyer and that question comes, who's going to be starting next season? Cassidy, we'll start with you, Jaden Daniels, and just being able to go down the field and not think about the drive that had just happened. Yeah, I think it's so important as an athlete to have short-term memory. You know, the play before, that it sucked that it happened, but you have to get back on the field, not allow it to rattle you. And that's what he did. He scored, like, we scored right back. But I do agree that that was a momentum changer, and it's like, you're always supposed to play every ball like it's live. Like, what would have hurt them by going after the guy who picked the ball up? So I think you always need to play every ball like it's live. It is a coaching problem, but, like, as a player, like, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. And that interception, I think, was a, a momentum changer as well with the ball off of yes, Besh's head. So <laughs> that, right, that, I, Yes. Yeah, I agree with Cassidy. That was another momentum changer as well. That was Kayshawn Booty's first touchdown since October 8th of this season. And it seemed to be after that play, there just wasn't as much creativity. It was just a lot more basic throws until Garrett Nussmeyer got in that game. And that could have been part of Jaden Daniels' injury and how that injury affected him. But also, it was just the same basic plays that this Georgia defense prepared for because you watch film and you see the same things. And when you're in a game like this especially, you want to treat it like every other game. That's the cliche thing to say. But the truth is you're going against the best team in the nation. So you have to make some changes. You have to try to throw them off a little bit. But going back to that that game-changing play, you can say, where Georgia ran that blocked punt back, when Brian Kelly was asked with the clip that you just heard, when he was asked about 
you know, whose fault is it in so many words? And Brian Kelly took full responsibility. The question was, was this team prepared? Like, were, were they ready for this? And Malik Neighbors was there with Brian Kelly on the podium. And I just saw him shook his head. Like, it, it wasn't that it wasn't the coaching. He kind of just shook his head and said, it's not that we didn't practice it. He, he was like, he didn't say anything, but he said so much just with that simple head shake that this team was prepared and it was just a big mistake. And sometimes when you have a team that hasn't been in moments like this, that's when it it's affected and you saw that you saw that with the Georgia team that even though some of these kids may have been playing the bench last year with a team that won a national championship they're still able to learn the ins and outs of football being there being in big moments such as ones like this and that's where LSU struggled but the lack of run game was also another problem for LSU there's something else we had also mentioned in the tailgate show that everybody had to have a good game you're playing the best team in the nation you need to have a healthy run and pass game and while that passing game did work out to LSU's advantage. What didn't is Josh Williams and that run game. Josh Williams only ran for 55 yards, and coming in second was Noah Kane with seven. And surprisingly, is Jaden Daniels had negative six rushing yards. Not something you expect to see from Daniels. Had he been 100% healthy, you could easily say that he could have ran for 100 yards, 100 plus yards. So like he's done so much this season. But speaking of that run game, how did this run game just affect this game, Cassidy? I honestly feel like you. I feel like a run game is just not going to be as successful against a defense like Georgia. And if it is going to be successful, I think it's just by the grace of God, honestly, because <laughs> Georgia just has a really good defense. And I think with one of our top running backs only getting 55 yards, then the next one seven yards, our quarterback negative six. I mean, um, he was injured, so you can't really think too much about it, but – I think our run game is something that we kind of pride ourselves on, and it just wasn't up to par against this number one team in the nation. Right. Like, what can you expect? Uh, Georgia hasn't allowed a running back to run 60-plus yards, so it's just, yeah, I mean, we did the best we could. 50, I don't, what did you say, 54 yards? 55 yards 55 yards, Williams. I mean, that's pretty good, I think. It's just when you're playing a team like this, you need players to rush for over 100 yards, and that shows how much of an asset Jaden Daniels' legs really are. It seems like I'm a broken record here talking about it, but he's done it so many times this season. It was only twice this season that Josh Williams, the running back, ran for over 100 yards. And Georgia, that's where they used their run game to their advantage. They knew that LSU gives up plenty of points on the run game, plenty of yards on the run game all season. LSU's defense is not great with stopping the run game, and they did for the majority of that game against Georgia, but then Georgia went out there and really took it away, specifically Kendall Milton with 113 yards. Speaking statistically here, Georgia finished the night with 255 rushing yards as LSU, with all of the negatives, finished with 47. So that was something that you look at the statistics, if you look at just that one, it says clearly Georgia came away with this game because of Seston Bennett, yes, but more because of their their run game and how they were able to trick LSU. Again, they didn't start off running the ball, but throughout the game as it progressed, as LSU just seemed to fall behind, they really took it away with uh, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh as well. Now, there was also a lot of red in the stands for LSU. This was a game that seemed to be, once LSU had lost to Texas A&M, a lot of people sold their tickets, they decided not to come, and it showed in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Atlanta is just about an hour away from Athens, where the University of Georgia is, and their fans traveled quite well. And besides the LSU alumni and maybe some, some other fans that I did see there, LSU had a tiny section. It was definitely a home game for the University of Georgia. So how could this affect their game, Raven? 
I mean, playing in Tiger Stadium, the atmosphere is amazing. It's something that you can't top. And, of course, all of your games are not going to be home, but, you know, a college stadium compared to an NFL stadium. And also, LSU fans always travel, especially this season. You know, we had a good season, so they're going to support. So I think them not having that support system affected them badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime like that, you know, like you said, Atlanta and Athens just an hour away, that's just a little trip for Georgia fans. So obviously they're going to pack the stadium. Just like, you know, whenever we had the championship game, it was in New Orleans. Like, mm-hmm. I think that had a big impact on the game, unfortunately, but that's just how life is. Right. And you, you look at the, the away games for this team this year. I mean, they played Auburn away, who didn't have the best season. And other than that, they played Arkansas away, and that was a game they struggled with. Texas A&M, they've had a lot of home games this year. You look at that Florida State game, it was in New Orleans. Then they go on to play Southern and Mississippi State and New Mexico. That's three home games in a row. Tennessee was the one that they struggled with at home. And then Florida was the one they come away with, and Florida was that good back-and-forth game. But other than that, it's like you got to play teams like Ole Miss at home, teams who were having winning records this season, Alabama at home. So that had a huge effect on a game like this, is now you're going to travel. It's during finals week. You still have exams. It's things you have to take into effect when you're in college. Brian Kelly mentioned that numerous times in his press conference. But all of that has to be taken into effect, especially when you have a team who's played, had the advantage to play a lot of home games this season. Well, let's move on talking about this Georgia defense. They are one of the best defenses in college football, despite losing five players to the NFL draft. Kirby Smart and the, his coaching crew did a great job of making sure that players come back, getting players in the transfer portal, recruiting players, especially now that Georgia is so good. It's not like that's a daunting task to do after winning a national championship. But speaking of this Georgia defense, they really broke through this Tigers offensive line, and it showed, and there was trouble, and Jaden Daniels was under pressure, and he couldn't use his legs like he's so used to when that pocket collapses. So, Cassidy, what else did you see about this line being able to break through this Tigers offensive line? I just think um, they were really on it and aggressive. And someone who stood out to me was Jalen Carter. I don't know if y'all saw that play where Jalen Carter literally picked up Jaden Daniels with one hand, had his other hand in the air. I just, I thought like, oh my gosh. And that wasn't the first time his name had been called or he made like really good plays. And I just think their line, it's just a very solid front. They're all on the same accord. They just are really good. That's all I have to say about that. Right, because it's very obvious, but Georgia's defense, all of Georgia's team, they play like a team. They play as one. They're yeah. very dominant. They're very aggressive, and that's going to work out in your favor every single time. Exactly. And it really does show. Now, I think that Jaden Daniels, had he been healthy, that – this Georgia defense would have been thrown off a little bit. They really would have had to focus and put a spy on Jaden Daniels, which it seemed that they were prepared to do. But when Jaden Daniels was kind of sitting in the pocket just trying to throw some short passes because he was in so much pain, that really took a lot away. And it made it easier for this Georgia defense that, okay, we shut down the run game, so we don't have to worry about that. Now we just have to shut down the passing game, which they struggled to do at the end of the game. But by that, it was really just taken away. That's why Garrett Nussmeyer came in and Jaden Daniels had just had enough. But the advantage was... They prepared easily for LSU's run game. Could we all agree with that? Raven, do you want to speak on that and what they did to make sure that they could contain a guy like Jaden Daniels and John Emery Jr. and Josh Williams? I mean, like you said, when you watch film and you know what's going to happen, you know what's going on, I feel like they kind of even memorized our plays in a way. That's why it was so impossible for our running backs and Jaden Daniels to do really anything. I mean, when you prepare for that type of thing and you have a defense as dominant as this one, then you're going to have no problems. 
Yeah, I agree. Right, and you had you see Noah Kane who had a one yard touchdown, so that was really just at the goal line getting the touchdown. But a guy like John Emery, this was really an opportunity for him to step up, and he has four carries for four yards. It's not a way that you want to end the night. And granted, they did prepare for that because they knew that Jaden Daniels, he's not that type of guy who will throw downfield. He just doesn't do it. I believe he's done it only eleven times this season. He's thrown a pass for over twenty plus yards, and that was during the Alabama week. So he might have thrown a few more passes after that. But it's not that's not quite impressive when you're looking at a quarterback. You need that long ball. That really changed the game. And he hasn't done that all year despite being injured or being healthy. And that's something that Georgia knew that they didn't have to prepare for. So they focused on other things, and it worked to their advantage. But Garrett Nussmeyer, let's talk about him. Now, he comes in for LSU, and Jaden Daniels did throw for 208 yards. He went 16-24, to threw for 208 yards and a touchdown. He did have an interception in that game, but again, the injury, it, it was a quite impressive performance, Speak considering that Jaden Daniels was banged up the entire time. Like If you watch that game, you would know that he was in excruciating pain each and every play. Did not look healthy at all. But Garrett Nussmeyer comes in, and he took this to his greatest advantage. Talking about someone who's going to come in and say, okay, this is my turn. Now I have to prove myself. That's exactly what he did. He went 15 for 27, threw for 294 yards and two touchdowns. Of course, it was not enough for LSU to come away with a win, but he did have quite an impressive performance. And I think a lot of that was because, one, they Georgia fully expected Jaden Daniels to play. And even if you did prepare for Garrett Nussmeyer, you don't have a lot of film on him. You have him, he came in about four games this season where they were garbage time touchdowns where he might have scored or just garbage time minutes that there wasn't pressure on him. You look at him last season, he didn't play a whole lot. So you're really looking back at high school film if you want to get an accurate representation of who Garrett Nussmeyer really is. And Malik Neighbors had a lot of good things to say about Garrett Nussmeyer, specifically this, which I found a little interesting. Garrett just gave us, you know, opportunities down the field, you know, just trusting us to make plays. And, you know, we came out and made those plays. And while that is a short clip, I thought, I'm not trying to cause some drama, but I thought it was an interesting choice of words for Malik Neighbors, considering he used the word trust, a word that was thrown around in the beginning of the season when Jaden Daniels had some trouble connecting with his wide receivers. And apparently they had had a players meeting. They were having a good season. They had only lost one game at this point, but Jaden Daniels had called for a players meeting. And what a lot of the guys said the word in that meeting was trust. They need to be able to trust each other. Jaden Daniels needs to be able to trust Keishon Booty and Malik Neighbors to make that connection. And Malik seemed to say that Garrett Nussmeyer didn't have a problem trusting his wide receivers. So, Raven, what did you see in Garrett Nussmeyer? And was this Georgia defense prepared for him to come in the game? I mean, no. You took the words right out of my mouth. There's no film. You don't know. I mean, you kind of know whether he's going to run or pass. I mean, Garrett is more of a passer staying in the pocket than – being mobile like Jaden, but I don't think they really even had the chance to prepare for him. I mean, he doesn't play that much. Jaden's your number one guy, so I think it kind of took Georgia by surprise. Yeah, I agree. And just to go back to what you were saying about trust, I think this might be a hot take, but I feel like I don't think Jaden didn't trust his receivers. I don't think he believed in himself or trusted himself, per se, because if you're confident in your throw game, you're going to lob it up to your receivers, but I feel like he just maybe wasn't as confident as he could have been in himself with passing the ball, and that gained over the season. He grew confidence in mm-hmm. himself to throw the long ball. And I think a lot of that had to do with him not throwing an interception. His yes. first interception was against Tennessee, yeah. and it was in garbage time as well, like at the very end of the game. And 
it seemed that that got in his head a little bit, that he wanted to be that perfect passer who hasn't yeah. thrown an interception all season, but that's not the way it works. And Football in general, college right. football, the NFL, you have to be aggressive. And that's something that Brian Kelly had tried to do all season with Jaden Daniels, had tried to encourage him that it's okay to throw an interception. Not in this game, of course, but <laughs> previous in the season. So when you do get into an SEC championship game like this, you're not shuffling around saying, how do I feel comfortable throwing a long ball? Again, you look at Jaden Daniels. He's been injured all season. He also had a back strain around the time they had played New Mexico. So there was a lot of things prohibiting Jaden Daniels from throwing that long ball. But this was a game that you had to throw a deep pass because Georgia was going to prepare for Jaden Daniels' legs. And that's what Garrett Nussmeyer came and, and did. And the biggest question is, if who is starting next year if Jaden Daniels decides to come back? Is Garrett Nussmeyer going to enter the transfer portal? But if both of these players come back, you have Jaden Daniels, who can throw a long ball but hasn't a lot this season, but can use his legs. And that's very important in football. And then you have Garrett Nussmeyer, who is not a mobile quarterback, who typically stays in the pocket, but can throw a great deep pass and has a lot of trust in his in his players, you could say. At least that was the word that they were using. And Brian Kelly had a few comments to say about Garrett Nussmeyer and the opportunity he had coming into an SEC championship game. He's got he's got a quarterback mentality that he wants to be aggressive, as Malik said. You know, he's pushing the ball down the field and giving these guys a chance to make some plays down the field, and they did. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, they're plays where they're 50-50 balls, but, um, you know, he he gives them a chance to make some plays, and uh, he, did, he did a nice job with that. Wrapping up Georgia defense, let's talk about their legacy. I had mentioned before, five players on this defense last season in the team that won a national championship for the first time in 40 years for Georgia went to the NFL draft. Georgia lost 15 players in total to the NFL draft last season. You're looking at Alabama. I don't think that legacy is over. We had talked about this in previous podcasts. They lost two games a season and they were ranked number six to finish the year. It happens. But Georgia, ranked number one, a year after winning a national championship, what a lot of people didn't think would happen because they might say this is a rebuilding year. Well, not for Kirby Smart and this Georgia team. So is Georgia building a legacy like Alabama Raven? I mean, legacy, that's big, you know, but I definitely think it's getting to that point. I mean, losing 15 players and still being able to come back strong, that's huge. No one expected this year to go this well for Georgia. So I think in time it could definitely come to that point. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they're on their way. I don't know on their way to legacy, but I think they are a really good team and building a name for themselves. Like, after this year, you can say Georgia is a football school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say just like on the Bama level, but this is because uh, this is the second time ever in the history that Bama's not in the playoffs. Two, you can count on one hand how many times they've never been in the college football playoffs. So I think that's like that is just a legacy. I don't know anyone's going to reach yeah. or who it would be. But I think, yeah, Georgia's on its way because, I mean, they're back to back. So I think that's impressive. And now Georgia, the thing to remember is that Georgia, the last time they won an SEC championship was in 2017. Georgia defeated Auburn 28-7. to 
And this is their first SEC championship since then. They win the national championship, and it's like so many people are like, oh, Georgia this, Georgia that. And the truth is, Kirby Smart was like, well, none of these players have won an SEC championship. And you talk about Seston Bennett and all that. Oh, well, he can win a natty, but he couldn't win the SEC championship. <laughs> and last year, it's like, can Seston Bennett, should he even be starting for Georgia in the national championship because they had just lost to Alabama? And remember, there were still JT Daniels there, and yeah. he was taken out midseason. Seston Bennett put in. It was That was a crazy season for Georgia, but they didn't win the SEC championship where Brian Kelly had said it in a previous press conference that it's hard to do it's hard to get there and it's hard to win one but Georgia has now won one and they have the opportunity and are favored to win a national championship for the second year in a row consistency is key so I'm going to need a few more years of this to yeah. say yes they are building a legacy but this is a very good start right. this is how you start to build a legacy you see it with Nick Saban. I don't know if anyone's ever going to reach that level, but Kirby Smart, again, very good start for him and this Georgia team. Since we are kind of at halftime of our show, we're going to do some stats at the half. We had talked about this on our tailgate show Saturday morning before the game, and now we get to see how wrong or how right we really were. We had Maddie Erickson on. I think I finally got her name right. That's very impressive because if you watch a tailgate show, I butchered it completely. <laughs> uh, I was on the show along with KLSU's Andre Champagne. Maddie is from Tiger TV. And we made some predictions, specifically speaking about Seston Bennett and Jaden Daniels and who would throw for more passing yards. Well, actually, surprisingly enough, because I was included in this, we were all correct. The three of us were correct. We said that Seston Bennett would throw for more yards than Jaden Daniels. Clearly, we did not foresee an injury, but Jaden Daniels finished with 208 yards, and Seston Bennett finished with 274 in their win in the SEC championship game. Now, we had talked about who is going to be the leading rusher of this game. Is it going to be Josh Williams or Jaden Daniels, a quarterback or a running back? And Maddie said that Josh Williams would be the team's leading rusher, and she was actually right. It was only for 55 yards, but it, it, she was right that he was the leading rusher. Andre had said that as well, but he was wrong in terms that he said Josh Williams is going to run for 115 yards, and it was nowhere close to that. And I was, I was just, I was wrong in general. I said that yes, Josh Williams is going to go over for 100 yards, but Jaden Daniels is still going to be the team's leading rusher, and he's going to rush for 125 yards. And me being myself, I was wrong once again. And then speaking of reception-wise, we had talked about who was going to lead the game in receptions. You had Malik Neighbors, who finished with five, and you had Brock Bowers, who finished with six. And that was that was the question. Is it going to be Malik Neighbors, or is it going to be Brock Bowers, who finishes the game with more receptions? And again, we were all right with that, so that's very exciting. I'm really changing uh I'm moving up in the world because I must say I <laughs> I typically am wrong about everything. But we had all said that Brock Bowers is going to be the guy, the tight end for Georgia that comes away with the most receptions. And here things start going back to normal. I was, I was very wrong about Harold Perkins. Maddie had said that Harold Perkins was going to have three sacks. I had said he was going to have two. And Andre Champagne was right with the final stats at the half question as Harold Perkins had zero stats. He had mentioned that he believes that Harold Perkins would be able to rush the quarterback. He would cause some havoc, but he would not come away with a sack. And Andre hit that one right on the head as Harold Perkins had eight tackles, two assisted tackles, zero sacks for Harold Perkins, the freshman who actually leads the league in sacks with 7.5 this season. So definitely a lot of awards coming for Harold Perkins despite LSU winning this game. But let's move on to this Georgia offense and talk about the weapons that they had in this team. Coming into this game, three of Georgia's players, Kenny McIntosh, a running back, 
wide receiver Lag McConkey and tight end Brock Bowers are the team's three leading receptions. They they have the most receptions this season in three different positions. So you have running back, wide receiver, and a tight end in there. And that threw off the LSU defense a little bit. They knew it was coming, but what this team has prepared for this season is typically they've prepared for a team's run game or a team's passing game. And this year, this week rather, they had to do all of that. They had to make sure that they were an all-around football team. And that's something this LSU defense struggled with quite often. But if you're speaking of this Georgia defense, they use that to their advantage and they utilize those players. And how would you say that this affected the weapons that Georgia had affected this LSU team? I mean, yeah, just really not being prepared for it, like you said, how Georgia's defense would. I mean, um, Georgia's O-line is also very good at protecting those key players. So when they're protected and everyone's on their man, it's going to be harder to, you know, tackle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and if you're speaking of this offensive line, they just do a great job of keeping their head up, and I mean that literally. They keep their head up, and that opens holes for running backs, and that's what you saw in that Georgia game. Like we had mentioned, Kenny Mil- Kendall Milton, 113 yards, and then you had Edwards with 77, and McIntosh with 55. It was an all-around team for Georgia, and that's what makes them so good. That's why they're number one right now in the college football playoff rankings, and that's why they are number one going in to the college football playoffs this season. But let's spe- speak about that offensive line a little bit. Something that in practice, this LSU defense doesn't go up against a whole lot because there's been so many struggles with this LSU offensive line, just trying to find their ways. You have Emory Jones Jr. and Will Campbell, the two freshmen, which Georgia has, again, more all around. They've been able to really rebuild this team and fix the pieces that they need missing. And that offensive line is something that's a great asset for Seston Bennett and these running backs for Georgia. What did you see in these this offensive line this weekend, Cassidy? I just think that they were really locked down and they allowed Stetson to get time in the pocket and really produce and have an efficient um, run game. Not run game, but like game in general for him. Now, Seston Bennett, when I was I was doing a lot of research and a lot of fans and talking and a lot of people have said he's a system quarterback. Once again, I had mentioned you go back to this time last December. It was is the Seston Bennett even deserved a start in a national championship. He just lost an SEC championship against the same team they're likely going to play. And when I'd asked this question on the tailgate show, Andre said, yes, you know, Seston Bennett is a system quarterback, but he has a really good system there at Georgia, and that's what makes him very good. And typically, Seston Bennett, if he kind of comes out of that system, that's where you see that interception. That's where you see this Georgia offense begin to struggle. But Seston Bennett had the opportunity to really stay in the system, just call the plays, be calm and cool and collected. But Raven, did he change anyone's mind this weekend? Like, is he still a system quarterback in your head? I mean... To me, yes. Yeah, Cassidy? I agree. I yeah, don't there's see just, him as that. To me, it was just there was no point where LSU put up enough fight where Seth and Bennett had to say, okay, now we have to throw in some trick plays. Now we have right. to do some things differently. It was he wasn't LSU, really challenged. Yes, exactly. Challenge is a great word that he didn't have that opportunity. And now, again, that defense is going to help them out, but you're, you're going into play some of the best teams in college football, Michigan. I would say Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm not sure if they're as strong as Georgia. But Michigan, if you have to face them, that's a team that you have to look out for. And it's a team that right now I feel is the second all-around team in college football. And if they put Seston Bennett in a position where he has to kind of maneuver out of that system and do some things he's not used to, that's where you can see this Georgia team struggle. But if you're a Georgia fan, let's pretend for a second we're hanging out in Athens – 
satisfaction is a big thing in the SEC in general. But that was something that is like you win a national championship and Kirby Smart this year was like, okay, so we haven't won an SEC championship. And I mean, again, you bring a national championship back home for the first time in 40 years and it just didn't seem like enough. It was like Stetson Bennett. I mean, the guy had a whole flip phone last year because he said, I need to focus and uh, I'm trying to win football games. So I, I needed to get off my phone. Now he's reverted back to the 21st century and has... I don't know if it's an iPhone, but a, a more a newer phone, you could say. But if you're a Georgia fan, are you satisfied with this win? You you finally win that nas- that college football SEC championship game, and now you're going to possibly play in a national championship and possibly win once again. Is this enough for a Georgia fan? Yeah, I would be. Oh my gosh, I'd be so happy if I was. <laughs> I'd be ecstatic. I mean, yeah. you're probably gonna go on to win the championship. So. Well, very but, likely. You know. We'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about it in a minute. That it is very likely for this team that they could possibly win again. But let's lastly talk about this LSU defense a little bit. And the mismatches were a very big thing for this team. It's been something that was big all season. You look at BJ Ojolari has gone up against wide receivers, and Sage Ryan specifically. You saw, but in this game against again one of the best teams right now in college football, if not the best, you had B.J. Ojolari and Micah Baskerville at times going up against Brock Bowers. And to me, that's a huge mismatch. And I understand that this secondary was something that was very depleted, but Brian Kelly had said, like, yeah, okay, the secondary is depleted, but we're going to SEC championship game. He said that in his press conference last Monday. And then it didn't seem like he utilized the players like he should have, like Jarek Bernard Converse was supposed to be back. And and Makai Gardner, those are guys that have really stepped up for this team. I know that LSU, talking about the secondary, they only had two defensive backs on scholarship come back this season. But Brian Kelly did a good job maneuvering in the transfer portal, trying to make things happen. But if we're speaking about these mismatches, I mean, specifically, you saw it with Sage Ryan once again. I mentioned uh, Micah Baskerville, B.J. Ojolari, all of them going up against Brock Bowers. And how did that affect this team? And how did they give Georgia the advantage to go out there and score points, Cassidy? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a mismatch. And I just, it seemed like all the defense, like the defense just seemed like really slow. I don't know if it's just because they couldn't keep up with the Georgia's defense, but it was a mismatch. And then I just don't know what it was. I had no clue, but it was not fun to watch. (laughs) Right. It was just, I mean, I don't want to blame that this specific play I'm going to talk about on Sage Ryan, but it was busted coverage that helped Georgia go up 14-7 to when Brock Bowers had scored uh, the second touchdown for Georgia, the first offensive touchdown for Georgia of the game. And Sage Ryan, he tried to make up for it. He just couldn't get there in time. And part of that just has to with speed. Sage Ryan and B. Joe Jalari and Micah Baskerville, they're just not fast enough to be able to compete with a tight end like Brock Bowers or the wide receivers on most teams, especially this Georgia team, and that's something that LSU has to focus on. You have the advantage of the transfer portal, and you're going to have to utilize that greatly. I understand that losing someone like Dwight McLaughlin was especially a shock because he transferred kind of late, but you're in the SEC championship game. You have to make things work, and if I'm looking at this football team, that there was other things that could have been done other than having B.J. Jolari and Micah Baskerville out there on one of the greatest tight ends right now in college football, one of the best tight ends right now in college football. But there were injuries looming this Tiger defense. It's understandable that late in the season, you're struggling with injury no matter what, no matter which way you look at it. Jarek Bernard Converse just coming back from that concussion, so that had prohibited him a little bit. What do we see in this this Georgia defense and how, or excuse me, this LSU defense and how the injury affected them in this game, Raven? I mean, I know this might sound crazy, but to me, it didn't really have that big of an effect. Like I've said, I think that our defense played 
surprisingly well against Georgia. I mean, I thought that it was going to be a lot worse. I mean, of course, it's going to affect us in the slightest way. I mean, we're missing key players. Like, players can't play to the best of their ability. But, I mean, to me, they did their best. No, in the beginning, I must say, it was it was quite impressive because, again, that's where the momentum really comes in because before that blocked punt, it was like this LSU team was was beating up on this offense a little bit, making the play, stopping the run game. They definitely prepared for that run game in Georgia at the beginning of the game. It was not at that towards the end, but they definitely ran the ball a little bit more when Georgia ran the ball a little bit more when they knew that they had that lead secured and locked away for the most part. But if you're speaking of this defense, yes, they did come out. But again, you needed guys to have their best games of their lives. And specifically, that was like Harold Perkins. You needed him to have a game like Arkansas because you knew that there were troubles looming around this secondary. And it showed greatly when the secondary went out there and it got to a point where they couldn't produce like they were used to. But LSU, I mean, you're speaking of this Georgia offensive line, they could not put pressure on Seston Bennett at moments. It was it was very rare when you saw Seston Bennett have to panic and scramble out of the pocket. He's not a mobile quarterback like Jaden Daniels. So, Cassidy, speaking of that and just the pressure that LSU, you have guys like B.J. Jolari and Ali Gay who can put that pressure on, but they didn't do that this weekend. They couldn't do that this weekend. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, like I said earlier, Georgia's O-line was just just giving max protection to Bennett and that's obviously going to have an impact because you have max protection you have more time to think you have more time to be confident and make the best play that you can possibly make and that's just what it seemed like it was the whole game Setson Bennett had time to be efficient and make good plays Mm -hmm. that you can capitalize off of and score so I think that's what it was right I agree there and also just speaking of man coverage something that LSU didn't play a whole lot and I I think they should have played more man coverage I saw a lot of zone but I know you have a lot of players that you're looking out for but sometimes those mismatches is that's that's when it comes in when you're playing zone and those buses coverages as well because again going back to that first touchdown that Brock Bauer scored you're in the end zone and you're saying okay well Sage Ryan is trying to catch up to him and it's just not going to happen and again also speaking of this defense it it goes back to the fans you remember Mercedes-Benz Stadium it it can be a dome and it was a dome and it was closed and closed for that game so you had fans who were loud I mean Andre and I looked at us in the beginning of the game and said it sounds loud in the press box with all the windows closed so I can't imagine how it sounds in that stadium and even just resulting back to this LSU defense you talk about how they started off the game, it was a silent count. They had to take a timeout early because the don't the the stadium rather was just so loud, and that's when that it's almost like okay, you might have to go into a silent count and things like that. That also affected this team, who has, as we mentioned, played at home a lot this season. But so we talked about Georgia's first touchdown and. If you're talking about this this touchdown, it, it kind of sums up the season. Again, we had talked about the, the problems that LSU has had on special teams. And Georgia doesn't have those problems, even on punt returns and kick returns. And you had a guy like Lad McConkie out there who is, is back there returning punts for Georgia. And there's just not the problems that LSU has had. So this is what Brian Kelly had to say about special teams and specifically that, that first touchdown for the Georgia Bulldogs defense. I'm not going to sit here and say woulda, coulda, shoulda, like I said in my open comments. But if we're just, if we just do a little bit better job on a, on a field goal situation, you know, take seven off the board, it's 43 points, and, you know, maybe we convert that, it's, it's 37. Um, you know, you, you got a, a one-score game. You know what I mean? And and so now you got a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. We get stopped on fourth and inches. That's a pretty close game. And if you're looking at that play, 
since LSU lost, it almost summed up the season that this was the Achilles heel for this LSU team. Cassidy, would you agree with that? Yeah, I just, I think it also sums up like that's our luck. Like, of course that would happen to us. So I think, yeah, like, actually that was very, what's the word? Mm, I can't think of it. Not poetic, but I don't know. It does sum up like we've always had problems with special teams and with our last most important game, like that's something that would happen Mm -hmm. to us. And especially on that type of special teams. Is that the word? I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, that also just shows that this is something that we have to work on. I think Mm -hmm. that working on special teams was overlooked all season because we've had consistent problems. This is something that the Tigers have to work on in the offseason. Well, I just don't know where the problem started because we've never had problems like this before. The punting was a problem all season. So you have to find a guy who's going to be out there. Clayton Jr. has done a pretty good job at the end of the season. But you try to put a guy like Malik Neighbors out there and Jack Bash. And you want a guy who has speed. You want a guy who's not too big. And you want a guy who can at least secure the football. right? And you have to look out for that. And this, this was just a great play by Georgia. They were able to block the, block the, the field goal. But most importantly, it's just being aware of the situation. And that's why Brian Kelly had said, it's definitely coaching on my end. And yes, this game could have been a lot differently. That's what he had mentioned in the last clip, that you look at that that play and you're not down by that much. There's not a great divide, as Brian Kelly had said, if this play does not happen. And it changes the momentum of the game. And of course, that interception that bounces off of Jack Besh's helmet, there's yeah. not a lot you can control there uh, with, with Jaden Daniels and that Jack Besh connection that was just a freak play that will probably go down the history books and Andre had looked over to me he said is this what Jack Besh is going to be remembered for mm-hmm. and possibly maybe it's not like this was a huge game that that changed the momentum of the game or that changed the game and that's why Georgia won but it did give them the opportunity to go out there and say okay let's capitalize off of this interception or let's at least let's make a play out of this and again threw off this LSU team and said all right now now we have to try to get out of our system to try to win this game and just both of those plays kind of changed the momentum of the game but Brian Kelly was promising what I liked about this season the most is that when I first came to LSU I didn't realize how grand college football was and with Coach O getting fired I couldn't necessarily understand because I said he had just won a national championship for this team in 2019 and now he's going to get fired and I mentioned this in, in previous shows and I'll say it again but someone at my church said well Alabama does it every year so we should be able to do it every year yeah. and that opened my eyes greatly and Brian Kelly, what I thought was fun about this season, that there was no expectation. There was a quarterback coming in from Arizona State who we didn't even know who was going to start until like hours before the Florida State game. And you're like shaking your head, Jaden Daniels, why is he starting? And and then he essentially helped Miles Brennan kind of retire uh, from football. <laughs> and then you come in and there's just Josh Williams. I mean, he, he was a walk-on coming in. You have John Emery suspended for two games. You have a secondary who seems very depleted and are filled with transfers. If you look at how far this team has come, it's quite impressive. You look at that Kansas State bowl game, that LSU just made the bowl game, and they might they barely had enough players on scholarship to play, and they had a quarterback playing, or excuse me, a wide receiver playing at quarterback. And oh my gosh. You look at how far this team has come in a year, it's quite impressive what Brian Kelly has been able to do. And while they lost this week of recruiting, and Brian Kelly said that they'll focus this coming week, speaking we're doing this podcast Monday, December 5th, so the recruiting has started, that's when they're really going to focus. But what I love that Brian Kelly said in the press conference last Monday is he said, well, the SEC championship kind of speaks for itself. We're there in the championship. That's why we can't recruit players, and that's why they're going to want to come and play for this team. And that's something that Brian Kelly 
has done for this team in just a short year. He's changed it around. He's changed the culture, you could say, even though he was like, well, we're not going to shift the culture, but he has in this football team. Yeah. And this is what Brian Kelly said, had to say after the press conference about what the end goal is for this team. Well, I don't think there's, you know, anything that can take away from uh, what this team accomplished on the field relative to winning an SEC West championship. They won that on the field. Um, what I think it does is it, it, it brings into light clearly the progress that we've made um, and the things that we have to continue to work on. So I think it just, I think for everybody, um, it, it clearly defines who we want to be and that we're not there yet. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. Um, we're not happy that we're not the SEC champs. That's not what we wanted today. We wanted to win this game, but we know where we're at. And, and we've clearly talked about what we need to do to be the SEC champs. And uh, that's okay. We need to go to work and um, get better at the things necessary for us to be um, better collectively, individually, and uh, as a football program. And while this might not have been the outcome for LSU fans as they had expected, LSU did break a record. They did make history in this game. They broke the record for the most passing yards ever by a team in an SEC championship game. The last team to do that was Alabama last season, where Bryce Young threw for 421 yards. But uh, LSU threw for 502 yards in this game. You look at it statistically wise, I encourage everyone to look at the statistics because if you look at it and you don't see the score of the game, you said, okay, LSU might really come away with this game. I mean, they had 502 passing yards and Georgia only had 274. That's insane, right? But then you look at the overall passing yards and the total yardage is LSU is 549 and Georgia has 529. But if I'm looking at this game, not seeing the score, I would say this was this looks like a really close game, right? And unfortunately, it's just not the way it went for LSU. But it is a game that is forever implemented into the history books, no matter which way this game went. And we had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Dennis Crawford from the College Football Hall of Fame. And he helped us talk about not just the history of LSU and the history of Georgia in this game, but we focus more on college football in general. And specifically, we talked about the first ever football game between Princeton and Rutgers. I am from New Jersey, so that's it's quite exciting to say, yes, football originated in New Jersey. And it was, the first ever game happened in 1869, and Rutgers won 6-4 to four in that game. And what I like that Dr. Dennis Crawford said is, I had mentioned, well, see, everyone wants to say that the South is where football is, and that's where it originated. And Dr. Dennis Crawford said, well, I think the South just perfected football there. And I said, fine, that, that, that's reasonably so. But he did help us picture what the first ever college football game looked like. He had mentioned that maybe players were wearing top hats in some pictures, but he tried to give us more of an accurate representation of the first ever football game in 1869. We'll never lose the sight of uh, Rutgers being the original home of football. Um, we have so much artwork uh, with uh, different versions of what that first game looked like. Some more ridiculous than the others. Like the one I saw yesterday where it actually looked like people were wearing top hats while they played was a bit much. Um, the paintings that you see uh, by Arnold Freiberg, um, who was a very, very well-regarded artist out of the uh, mountain region, I believe Utah, um, he did the first century of football. His painting probably gets closest to what that original game really looked like. 
Can you describe that painting? Yes. Um, back then, uh, you know, this is an audio medium, but a picture of V. Okay, it was called it was called a wedge. So you take your men and you create a V, and there's one man behind that V kicking the ball, not carrying it, because the first college game they were primarily still kicking it like a soccer ball. And that V just drove through the opposing team in a very brutal thing. It was called a wedge because you're trying to wedge through. Imagine a doorstop. You know, you're using that doorstop. Um, it was very brutal. Um, and that was the way the game was played for many, many years until the early 20th century uh, when President Theodore Roosevelt uh, invited Walter Camp and several other people to the White House and basically said if you can't figure out a way to make this game less lethal because people were actually dying playing football, uh, the sport's going to go away. And so uh, that's how we end up with the NCAA. We had talked to Dr. Crawford and I had asked him, what's something that's interesting? He is a historian for the College Football Hall of Fame. He has worked there for three months, but he said that it just feels right that when he got that job there and he's always loved talking about sports history and I had asked him, what is what is something that you found interesting? And he said, well, I was doing some research and he wanted to do a man versus nature motif. When he did that, he came across the Michigan-Ohio State game and he thought that that was one of the most entertaining games and this is what he had to say about it. And he provided us some history that we were unaware of. In 1950, Michigan played Ohio State in Columbus in a game where 28 inches of snow fell during the day. It was 10 degrees. Uh, the winds were whipping around Ohio Stadium. They call it a horseshoe for a reason. So the winds were howling in there. And Michigan won the game 9-3, to despite the fact that they did not have any first downs and did not complete a single forward pass. They had 24 yards. I'm sorry, 27 yards of total offense. They punted 24 times, and they still won 9-3. to because Ohio State had to punt 21 times and Michigan managed to block two of them. And so to me, that's one of the most amazing statistical lines I've ever seen that you could win a game and not get a single first down. And it is interesting to see, I jokingly said, maybe history will repeat itself as he had said that 28 inches of snow fell in that game and there is not one forward pass. Uh, but there was still a winner in that game, so it is quite interesting that maybe the Buffalo Bills need to take some notes <laughs> and realize that they can play in a lot of snow. But Michigan, Ohio State, they will be making it to the playoffs. So I also want to thank Dr. Dennis Crawford for taking the time to speak with us early in the morning as well before the College Football Football Hall of Fame and even open and giving us some information that I would not have known about had I not speak with him. So we'd greatly appreciate him taking the time to speak with us. But let's talk about the college football playoffs real quick. Michigan, Ohio State, TCU, and Georgia. What are your predictions? Cassidy? I don't want anyone to win, and I will sneak into that championship and shut off all the lights so the game can't happen. <laughs> Something I cannot. It's history. Why not Michigan? You don't like Michigan? I I like Michigan. I like high. Michigan more than Georgia. So. I just think like I kind of have SEC bias, and I want I want the SEC to win because no. I want SEC to dominate any sport. Period. Andre too. Andre is like that yes. as well. He will ride for the SEC no matter what. And I'm like, are you crazy? Because I'm that person. Like I'm not. I, I 
again, because SECs are opponents. But the so thing yes. is, is like if you have a tough division, that makes you look better. True, but so, but they, but it doesn't matter now. It's like okay, that's not going to matter next season. Well, I just but like uh, I guess because like I'm that person that I grew up watching a lot of more professional sports. So yeah. it's like I, no way am I rooting for the Red Sox. If, sorry, Cassie, I know yeah. you're not. But no way, as a Yankees fan, am I rooting for the Red Sox if they make it to the World Series? I'm not rooting for the Giants or the Eagles if they make it to a Super Bowl. No yeah. way. Like I don't care about that. I want to see those teams lose, and that's lose. kind of and I what, get that. I do get yeah, that. Yes, so that's kind of what I'm saying now. Like if if you're an SEC fan, that you might not be rooting for Georgia, especially that second year in a row. And there's see, that. yeah, that's why I'm not rooting for Georgia. I don't want them to win again, but I also don't want the SEC to not win so it's just kind of like right. it's just a lose-lose well, situation well usually that. the SEC is more options here I mean there was one point this season where it was okay Tennessee LSU and Georgia could all get to the playoffs yes. so that could be a very real possibility but this is a little more interesting at least you have two Big Ten teams in you have Ohio State at number four Michigan at number two and then you have TCU a Big 12 team in and then you have the Georgia Bulldogs and it kind of makes a better mix argument a yeah. mix and an argument for why we need 12 a 12, 12 team playoff, oh right? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. So to give these teams more of an opportunity. But Ohio State will take on Georgia. Let's do some predictions for that game, Raven. Who comes away with that one? I think Georgia will. Yeah, Georgia's going to wash yeah. Ohio State. Okay, Georgia. I think so too. And I like CJ Stroud. I love him. I love what Ohio State has just they're also a very consistent team. Like if they're not in the college football playoffs, they're like a top 10 team or going to a really important bowl game. So Yes, and I'm just not sold on Ohio State this year, though. Again, yeah. they just kept too many games way too close. Penn State, they didn't run away with that game until late. Yeah. And even Maryland, they kept it way too close, barely won that game, not sold on them. I didn't even love them in the playoffs, but they were that one-loss team. So after USC lost, it was, okay, you have to put Ohio State in. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Georgia comes away with this win. Let's talk about Michigan, TCU. The Horn Frogs lost their first game this weekend. <laughs> uh, but Michigan's undefeated. Who comes away with that win, Cassidy? I think Michigan might win yeah I, I have Michigan coming away with that yeah to me TCU has just not yeah yeah I like TCU I like Max Dugan and yeah, everything like they've been able too. to do I think it's it's quite impressive Jonah our producer is shaking his head like no way TCU is not coming away but they're, they're a cool story and I'm glad they made it into the playoffs because yeah. they were that one loss team and I find that important that okay because there's only four teams if you're that one loss team you deserve a shot at the playoffs but they remind me a little bit of Cincinnati where they have this great season they lose that game and they come in and Michigan's just way too dominant Jim Harbaugh said he's staying with Michigan so that's exciting yeah because it's like he's building such a legacy there right now you know putting respect on Michigan's name because it's like you can never win the big games well now they've won the big game against Ohio State twice, two years in a row. So I think the Wolverines come away with that game. And let's talk about the national championship. If you are right, Georgia, Michigan, who wins that? Is it Georgia for the second year in a row, or is does Michigan and Jim Harbaugh finally get its chip? I would love that for Coach Jim and Michigan. And I just think Georgia – I'm not going to say Georgia is overrated. Georgia is a great team. But when they were playing Georgia Tech and whenever they were playing – who were they playing – where it was like a really close game and the team Missouri. was... Missouri. Missouri. Stuff like that. Like, they are a yeah. very beatable team. You just have to have the right team to beat them. And I think Michigan has the best chance mm -hmm. of doing that. Yeah, I think Michigan has the best chance, but I also think that Michigan is very beatable. So I actually think Georgia will take this one home, sadly. If it happens because I might turn the lights off in the stadium. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> no one's turning any lights off. SEC or... NCAA, no, that's a lie. They're gonna, yeah, but, they're gonna. Get well, it. <laughs> Michigan's just come away with so many big wins. I mean, again, a close game against Maryland, but thirty-four to twenty-seven, a lot better than what Ohio State did. They shut out Connecticut. I know they're not a ranked team this season, but 
I I like what Michigan's doing. Even with Michigan State, they held Michigan State to just seven points. And while they haven't played a whole lot of ranked teams, they did blow out Ohio State. And that's what's very important, that right now they played Penn State, who sits at number nine. They beat them 41-17. to They played Ohio State, who is number four in the playoffs, 45 to 23. Whereas Georgia, again, that I know that they're a better football team than they are now, but like that game against Missouri, it was just something that this team could be easily thrown off if need be. And again, like you, you, a, a team like Kent State, you defeat 39 to 22. It's not like that was a huge blowout, right? right? The, the big blowout was like number 20, South Carolina, where Georgia defeated them 48 to seven. But I'm not just 100% not that I'm not 100% sold on Georgia. It's just they're beatable. And I think both of these teams are beatable. But it just seems that this just seems to be Michigan's year. That This is the year that Jim Harbaugh wins at Michigan. And like this could be a culture change for them as well, especially if Jim Harbaugh does stay true to his word and does decide to stay, uh, to stay a Wolverine. Last prediction of the semester, Heisman Trophy. Who comes away with it? Now, Jaden Daniels was like, oh, maybe he could get it. Max <laughs> Dugan, there's a lot of crazy assumptions. You have C.J. Stroud in the mix. Who else, Who is a guy that you think might run away with the Heisman? Cassidy? I think it's just all kind of a mix-up now, seeing that like late in the season that some of these quarterbacks who were undefeated have lost games, and the games that they did lose were blowouts. Like C.J. Stroud, he was a favorite, but he didn't come up big in that um, – in that Michigan game, but mm-hmm. I think he's still a top runner. Me too. That's a, I'm going to go with Caleb Williams. I know oh, USC yeah. loses but that game, but that, I mean, I'm, yeah, I guess. I, see, I'm looking at as like you can't look at how they lost that game. Okay, yes, that they took that big loss, but was it just Caleb Williams? Like this is this is an all around team, team who's effort. trying to win a game, a team effort. Yes, and you, I, I look a lot about it statistically wise and statistically speaking. Both C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams have 37 touchdowns on the season. Stroud has six interceptions, and Caleb Williams just has four. But I really look at the passing yards too. I mean, Caleb Williams has four thousand seven and four thousand and seventy five passing yards this season, whereas C.J. Stroud has 3,340. And what Caleb Williams has been able to do in that system is impressive. I know he has Lincoln Riley coming in as a coach, but you know, same coach, you don't have to change a lot. But it is, you're making that move from Oklahoma to California, you come in and you have a great season for USC, I think it's it's notable. And last season, you look at the Heisman winners, and a lot of people were saying, well, there's no distinction, right? You have like CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, but it's not like one player blew anyone out of the water. And it's a similar situation here, but I, I think Caleb Williams wins it this year, and I think he's deserving of that. Jonah agrees. So he does agree with TCU, but he does agree with Caleb Williams. Jonah, do you, do you want to make any predictions? Do you have anything you would like to say? Georgia, Michigan, Georgia wins. Um, yeah, that's about it. Also, breaking news, just found out. Verlander to the Mets, Contreras to Astros. No way. Yeah, okay, well, neither of those are like 100% confirmed, but it's like almost <laughs> a guarantee. I, I'm looking right now. I'm trying to, okay, yes, Justin, wow, to the Mets. And I that, it was coming. Wow, and that was just a few days after they lost to Grom. That's an, oh. yeah. Uh, wow, that that's good for the Mets. Quite impressive because Verlander will probably play more than Degrom. So still get out first. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Jonah's like, they're still going to be out of the playoffs. Jonah's an Astros fan. He's not messing around. He's like, the Astros, Astros all the way. Okay. Thank you for that breaking news, Jonah. I greatly appreciate that. Well, that is all we have for you today. This is our last podcast of the semester. Aww. We are so glad we were able to break the SEC championship game down for you and have the experience of going out to Atlanta. It was amazing. We had an amazing time despite LSU losing that game. But we will be back next semester with Sunday shows from 2 to 3 o'clock, uh, out of bounds, specifically speaking about that Sunday show's name. We are wrapped up with the tailgate shows, but we will once again do a podcast each week. Hodges Huddle, be sure to look out for that on all platforms. I am Patricia Caputo. Joining me was Raven Freeman and Cassie Johnson for the last time this semester. Thank you to Jonah Webster, our production producer. I want to give a shout out once again to the LSU Alumni Association and Brittany Ernest and the College Football Hall of Fame with Dr. Dennis Crawford for speaking with us officially for the last time this semester. This has been the Hodges Huddle.